0: You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, a show where we discuss trends, marketing, and the biggest pop culture event of the year, because at the end of the day, everything is an ad. I'm Al Manorino. I'm the senior producer of the Ad Week Podcast Network and producer of this very podcast. With me is one of the actual hosts of the podcast, Europe brand editor, Rebecca Stewart. Rebecca, how are you? Is it weird that I'm steering the ship for a change?
2: Hey, Al. No, do you know what? It never hurts to have a new captain. We're (laughs) delighted that you're on the other side of the mic today. Um, and I think this subject that we're going to be talking about is really close to your heart, and you actually have a special connection to the guest, so I think it makes perfect sense. Steer away, my friend. Great,
0: great segue. I'm so excited to introduce our guest for this week's episode. She is an entertainment journalist and author who has been covering pop culture for over 20 years, which is crazy, and she's going to be mad that I said that uh, number. She was also <laughs> profess- my professor at Rowan, uh, one of uh, my my only mentor, uh, and now one of my closest friends, Please welcome Tara Bennett to the podcast.
3: Uh, thank you so much, Al. Rebecca, it's so lovely to, to be able to meet you with this. And uh, no, I'm not mad about 20. You know, listen, you got to embrace your, your your years on the stump. So, <laughs> so thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, my God. We're, we're so honored to have you. Um, now, Tara, we can we can spend uh, an entire season of a podcast talking about your work. So, let's just go over some of the hits where could people find some of your work that you've been writing your entertainment journalism over the years and tell the audience about some of the books you've written too.
3: Oh lovely you're so so generous um yeah no I've been an entertainment journalist uh going all the way back to uh 1999 where I used to write for at home long long time ago that doesn't even exist anymore (laughs) um but yeah no now I write for uh Pace Magazine, IGN, um Sci-Fi I've written for for 15 years um And so I cover all things, uh, sometimes genre and then uh, film, television, um, pop culture, uh, marketing ancillaries. Um, and then uh, I've also just covered the business for, as you said, 20 plus years. And uh, on the book side of it, um, I have uh, uh, done 30 plus uh, making of or art of books, uh, wow. either by myself or with my uh, co writer, Paul Terry. Um, most recently, we did um, the story of Marvel Studios, where we were embedded at Marvel Studios and told the story of uh, how they came into existence as an actual independent studio, and then all the way through through the first three phases of their um, creation of films. And then um, my independent by myself last uh, recent book was uh, The Art of Avatar, The Way of Water. So I worked with James Cameron and his team um, of incredible visualists uh, to talk about oh, that crazy <laughs> that crazy franchise and that crazy movie. So yeah, it's been uh, an unexpected uh, journey. Um, we both, Al and I, started at Rowan and uh, yeah, to, to see where we are today is a fun thing.
0: Go profs. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's crazy. You know, just to talk about the the Marvel book for a second, you know, when that was finally released, because you'd been working on it for four plus years or something like that. When that was finally released, the 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 news stories that came out of it, it was so (laughs) weird to see, you know, usually you were covering this stuff. Now, people were covering your book from the the all the details that you had found talking to these people over the years. Like, what was that like? That that had to have been kind of a weird change of pace.
3: It was, it was weird because, you know, um, I have gratefully in this business, even though there's been a lot of um, contraction, um, been able to avoid pretty much kind of being one of those uh, aggregator horses that a lot of places do where they just go, Hey, go look at this and then like turn it into five stories. Yeah. And so it was really weird to suddenly like see, Oh, Hey, I'm a, Subject of all of those, like (laughs) turn them into stories. Um, But it was honestly, Paul and I knew it was coming, but it was just really kind of funny to see what people uh, first kind of jumped onto to tell stories based on, you know, the, the, the thorough reporting that we did for years. And the things that they missed, you know, you're like, why is that not a story? That was a huge story to us as we were covering it. So it was kind of like a weird observa- editorial observation where we critiqued people <laughs> for not hitting the right things. And what, you know, was clickbaity versus like what actually could have been a really interesting story. Um, but yeah, it was uh, listen, you, you know, you, you write a book like that and you know, it's going to kind of be torn apart in, ge- in general for those kinds of things. But, um, but you know, what's actually really funny now, Al, is that like, I'll see stories where they'll be covering the book came out in October 21 and they'll be covering something in the business. And I'll go, you know, that's wrong in our book. If you just read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your story would totally be different. So um, I think I, I, I'm at the point now where I'm actually aggravated. People are not reading the book to be able to get their stories right because they're reporting things that are just you know incorrectly um, assumed that are that were very clarified in our books.
0: Yeah, it's sacred text at this point. It, you guys like, covered it. Like. You covered it so so thoroughly. It, uh, you know that should be like the the Bible for Marvel. Uh, at this, I feel point.
3: like if you're writing about Marvel, it should be on your it should be your coffee table, as we joke, because yeah. it was th- 11 pounds. Well, yeah. I can't believe that 11 pounds.
2: It's, are you ready for a sequel tara <laughs> no
3: no no we laugh a lot because we actually you know to, to all of marvel's credit um we were embedded there and uh we didn't want to do the book unless they said listen you know this is not a puff piece on it this is us reporting and talking to more than a uh, 150 people and doing you know inside on-site interviews um in-person interviews and uh they were very honest about it. The book is very much honest about talking about a lot of the problems that they had, a lot of the, the issues that they had internally, a lot of the issues when movies didn't perform and then what lessons they learned from it. It's, um, it's not a making of the movies, it's a making of the studio. So it's the, the people that are still there to this day. Um, they've had very little um, churn, at, it, which is very unexpected for any place in Hollywood. And that usually is pretty indicative of that. Like, no, that's a good place to be. If people are going, I don't want to be out of here <laughs> as soon as a movie is finished. And, um, and that is, uh, you know, the, the being able to kind of, um, look at that and understand that, it's real reported. It's very honest. I don't know, honestly, when a book like that comes out, because we aren't embedded there anymore, if you go, I don't, maybe we should never have done that. And maybe we were too honest, you know, so I don't know if they would ever come <laughs> back again and say, hey, let's do um, a book on phase four or phase five, because they have been the most tumultuous uh, phases of their creativity because of in- impact of Disney+. Plus the mandate to make a lot of things way more than they were ever doing while we were there. They, they um, amped up to three movies a year and that was already a pressure cooker for them. So you add now all these television shows, you add, um, you know, actors who are not in the rotation anymore. um, just COVID, kevin COVID, COVID, and then kevin feige is one human being you know he was always extraordinarily involved with every single thing that they did and when you amp up to the, the 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 volume in which they are they're only now stopping because of a lot of other you know budgetary factors and retraction at disney in general with um with their shareholders and money um you know, I, I think that maybe they would need some extra time <laughs> to be able to really look at that and say, like, how, how honest do we want to be about that? So I don't anticipate it. But um, I think there's uh, really great stories there if they eventually wanted to do that someday.
0: Maybe they're waiting for like uh, more of a, a specific kind of comeback, and then they can look <laughs> back. And, like, Do a, an arc know, another, exactly. <laughs> another, another another underdog story for them. Uh, yes. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moving on from from Marvel, and we'll, we'll definitely be talking about them probably throughout. But when I first pitched the idea of, of having an episode dedicated to all things San Diego Comic Con, which is really what we're talking about um, for this episode, my third my first thought was to have. Um, you on, but, uh, obviously I asked you kind of last cause I'm like, I know she's busy. She's always writing a book. So I'm like, I don't <laughs> want to bother her until I like necessarily need to, to just get you on. But thank you. When did you, when did you first start covering the con and how has it changed over the years, especially from like a, a marketing perspective, like the, the bigger brands coming in and, and, you know, the activations bigger and bigger every, every year. Like when did you start first covering it as, as, you know, as a member of the press?
3: Yeah, you know, it's really funny because um, I think I have a really unique perspective because I had a 20-year a, a uninterrupted run of attending the con, and that started in 2003. And I think that's really at the cusp of when um, it was kind of changing from the, the – Hey, we're just a comic thing where we're bringing in some television shows, and certainly Hall H is a thing. But Hall H isn't a thing where people are, are um, literally sleeping out, you know, t- two days before the con starts, so that on Thursday they can get inside <laughs> and and be in the room. Um, it was literally a thing where I you could walk in on a Sunday and just buy a ticket and go in. Saturdays were still, you know, okay, that's sold out, but it was not on a Thursday Thursdays were never sold out. Um, and, uh, and so I was there, uh, actually early on in my writing career in, in 2003 where, um, I was writing, um, uh, for a a really, really professional fan site called city of angel for the show angel, which was a spinoff of Buffy and Buffy was like one of my all time favorite television shows. So we had sponsored a panel for, um, when, uh, essentially, uh, the spike character from Buffy, Uh, who uh, had perished at the, in the series finale then was now going to be assumed into the show angel. And so a lot of those writers were going to talk about it. And that's really, um, I went to, to go with that. And I was like, what is this thing? (laughs) And, and this was pre, when you'd go into the gas lamp area, uh, pre, when there were half of the hotels that are there now, um, before they would wrap them, you know, with marketing and ads for TV shows and movies, when you could walk in, um, a lot of the advertising was print-based. I remember, like, you know, we were even giving away, like, a really nice, uh, like, cardboard, like, movie poster of the season. Um, those, that was how, like, kind of relatively marketing lo-fi it was. And then every year from 2003 all the way to 2019... Um, It just turned into an advertising spectacle. You know, uh, as the hotels came up, you you would see a show entirely wrapping, you know, one of these major, like, tall, tall hotels. Uh, You would watch um, basically storefront spaces get rented out. Turned into activations. Uh, I went one year when they turned uh, an empty space for Tron, the uh, the sequel that came out into Flynn's Arcade, which was a uh, you know basically a huge set uh, for the movie that that they then reproduced it in a. Re- ridiculously detailed fashion um, when they you know turned restaurants into themes for all kinds of places you know like the Good Place or you know you were walking into um, uh, a place uh, the Hard Rock Cafe the Hard Rock Hotel essentially turned into uh, multiple um, you know like marketing efforts in different spaces of that and so it just really exploded it really it almost now I would say somewhere around. I guess it was around 2 2000 maybe a little bit late to maybe 2008 2009 you look at the gas lamp in San Diego and that is not the gas lamp anymore as soon as San Diego runs in it is a town of advertising (laughs) in the most creative ways possible to make an immersive experience for people who love this TV show or who love this video game or who love this movie. And you'll be able to walk through it or see things that you've never seen before that they present to you. Or, um, you know, I did a Westworld activation once where they literally put you through the question, um, process of, Deciding whether or not you were a robot, <laughs> and then you walked away with like a $200 Stetson on your head, whether you were black, uh, the black uh, man in black hat, or the good guy with the with the. I, I just, I was like, I've constantly been amazed by the creativity that's kind of poured itself through from where it was nothing at San Diego to now where it's an experiential, um, kind of, uh, if not even. Um, a pitch for new shows that are coming, a, a way for you to experience a brand in a way that you haven't before at San Diego.
2: Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to hear how it's changed, Tara. And I think what you're pointing to is this kind of idea that we're seeing more of in marketing, which is world building, um, and studios and brands using the event to, to build the worlds and to take fans into them. And one of the questions that, I mean, this conversation is fascinating to me, first of all, as someone that kind of just d- dabbles in Marvel. Um yeah. Yeah, like I love hearing you guys speak about it. And one of the questions that I have is the impact that San Diego Comic Con has had on experiential itself, in terms of how we're seeing brands activate and do their own spin-offs. So everyone seems to have their own convention now. We have Barbie Con, we have Bravo Con, you guys were seeing DC done something of its own as well during the pandemic. Is this a model people are copying and why?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I, I can definitely say in my years, um, you know, I've always been, uh, a geek, uh, from a kid, you know, the stuff that I gravitated towards were always, you know, science fiction and animation. And, uh, that only grew into my college years and then certainly into my career, um, which is, you know, not always underst- understood, you know, you, there's, there's a niche. And then I think what Comic-Con did is it got bigger, um, was that people started to understand, well, you know, this is a unique thing that was comic books. And then it kind of grew into ancillary media because as comic books, you know, certainly were made into movies um, and then, you know, television shows. And certainly there were always animated shows. um, Those were all part of the mixing bowl in in San Diego that grew over time. But I think then what they had really understood was that, oh, wow, there is... um, there's a dedication from this particular subset of, of attendees, people that will you know, take essentially a week's worth of vacation and arrive on a Tuesday and stay through Sunday um, to be able to participate in all these various wings of a fandom. So whether it's books, comic books, video games, film, television, it's all in this one mixing bowl that just got um, stronger and more ambitious and added more and more panels. And then um, really, honestly, the turning point was Twilight. And I was there for it. Uh, Twilight then suddenly brought in this other part of fandom, which was super dedicated to Stephanie Meyer's books, um, and then was super excited about what was going to come with the movies. And then all of a sudden, Thursdays sold out, because Thursday was the day that they decided to give Twilight a try and see, I don't know, are these are the existing fans going to show up? And that was the first time people <laughs> like s- slept out. That's That was they went, oh, wow. oh, my God, we've sold out. And then Twilight and all of its, um, you know, subsequent sequels changed the tenor of the dedication of fandoms that showed up. And then what happened is, is that it pushed people out of Hall H that were normally getting in without having to sleep over. And then the companies had to went, wait, there are all these people that now were thousand, literally, you know, that's almost 7000 people that fit into Hall H. You go, oh, well where are they going to go if they didn't get in? And then they started making activations Mm -hmm. and then they really realized there's this ability to be able to take advantage of making non panel oriented programming for the attendees and pulling them over either, Hey, come and give this a try. Um, we can, you know, we'll give you a T-shirt. We'll let you see early footage of something. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we'll play games with something. You get a first chance to, you know, literally t- touch a paddle and play something. And that became a secondary level of enjoyment of Comic Con for the fans. And it started to expand into the gas lamp. It, Petco has a huge um, parking lot. It's expanded into like a mini activation um, city <laughs> there where you can go and touch on all these different brands and, and what they're doing. And that's really when you watch the the creativity go, oh, wait, activations are just as important as these, these panels are to brands. They're even more almost a shadow con for when spill and people can't get into the major panels. Well, we are their alternate um, entertainment. And uh, it's become super, super successful for San Diego. So, you know, those same brands sit there and they go, well, why can't we do this on our own? Why mm-hmm. can't, you know, as Netflix make their own to-doom um, worldwide global event where they announce all the things that are coming and DC having fandom, which was, hey, same kind of thing. Everything that's coming in the comics, TV uh, film world for DC. Here you go. And then, um, you know, you just, as you were saying, Barbie con, you know, that, that movie's exploding this summer. And of course that's been a brand for forever. You know, my aunt had the very first Barbie and I used to play with it very gently, um, when I went to go visit her. And so you, uh, you, you go, the the comic con really was, it's almost a test incubator for what these brands have gone on to do, um, on their own, rather successfully, um, in showing, if a fandom will show up and we can take advantage of that and make it exciting and experiential, like, why do we have to just do it in San Diego for one week? Let's just do mm-hmm. other things too.
2: I love that. Such a far-reaching impact and fandoms will always
3: show up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think San Diego, there was, you know, like a kind of a negative tenor, even I think for some brands that were attending in those early years, there's eh, a bunch of nerds. And then you go, wait, these people... Spend a tremendous amount of money, and the the show floor, which is literally the entire length of the San Diego Convention Center, I walked in the first time and went, "What? What is this?" It was basically (laughs) like a Javits Center trade show, but for movies and for television and for comic books. I've never, I've had a lot of friends that have come to San Diego in the twenty years that I was going, and um, either they were supporting me. with reporting that I was doing because it, it got so big that you can't be in all places at once <laughs> cloning has not been invented yet for comic-con. Um, and so you would have, I'd have some friends that were, uh, maybe it's not even their industry, but they would go cause I would trust them and be able to do some interviews and they walk into that floor and go, what is this thing you haven't been telling me about? And <laughs> it's overwhelming. It's a brand assault <laughs> uh, with the size. I mean, the first time I think I went, they had a full X-wing from from Star Wars on the floor, show floor. Uh, and I went, what in the, what in the, like, life size? Like, you, like, I just could not, um, I could not believe what some, Star Wars always got it. So they were bringing it big. But then I think when you saw other brands go, wait, they are willing to spend a tremendous amount of money. And they're also just excited about whatever you're throwing at them. And that's the thing that's really funny about San Diego is that, You can show them a movie that no one has ever heard of before. Give them, you know, two-minute teaser for for what's coming and get the greatest reception of your life. And then they walk away from San Diego and go and tell all of their friends and family about all the cool things that they saw. And it is Mm -hmm. the greatest word-of-mouth marketing that you could ever think of. And that's really where they realized, oh, okay, like there's a lot of power here and there's a lot of power about not thinking that these nerds are are like something to be mocked and made fun of like this is really important brand ambassadoring for us as they leave this event and go off and talk about it until this the, the actual property's ready to come out. Yeah, nerd yeah. dollars are still dollars, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely and if you can also engender even more um, brand loyalty because of things that you provide, sneak peek, give you a T-shirt, you know, any of those kinds of things where you have walkaways, like all of that, uh, San Diego has basically been able to, for brands to test what works, what works best. And uh, and it's, uh, you know, not all movies go on to become huge hits because they were at San Diego, but they certainly had better buzz <laughs> than they did before they, you know, showed anything or were present at an activation or wrapped a building. Um, uh, and that is really a place where I've seen, brand's test and then walk away from San Diego going, how did this go? What could we do differently? Do we lean more into this? And then you watch their marketing, um, their, their whole rollout based on some things that you initially saw the kernel of at San Diego.
0: And Rebecca, we, you know, uh, last year we covered, uh, the Cannes international festival of creativity. Hopefully I got that right. And you covered this mm-hmm. year as well for ad week. Yeah. Um, just to put it in comparison, cause I've been to both, Comic-Con makes can look like a street fair, and that's really saying something um, because of how it really takes over the city. And, you know, I was looking at the numbers for 2019, which was the last kind of real big San Diego. Uh, not Sorry, not, I'm looking at probably 20... No, yeah, it was 2019, right? Because 2020 was 2019. the pandemic. Yeah, so I was, I was in- looking at the attendance numbers, and there was 167,000 attendees at San Diego Comic-Con. There was actually 250,000 at New York Comic-Con. But I always... Every time I talk to people, I always said that I used to cover New York and San Diego all the time, pre-pandemic, and there is almost kind of no comparison because when you leave the Javits Center, you have left Comic-Con for the most part. There is no activations really outside there to the point where they can't contain Comic-Con in the Javits Center anymore. They had to go you have to walk 20 minutes to go to msg or hammerstein (laughs) hammerstein ballroom to just go attend a panel because there's literally no more space for them to activate Mm. they just they can only build up for the javits center san diego it literally takes over the whole town it's probably the most profitable time for the city of san diego it is yeah it is it's Absolutely bananas, but um, I think this is a good time. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more. Yeah, that's probably an ad and more Tara Bennett.
1: My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad.
0: Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash
3: generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be.
0: All right, we are back. And so there's so much to talk about, uh, but I really want to keep discussing the activations, even though, Tara, you went... Uh, at length about you know the the reasoning for them, but I, I want to talk a little more about that. You know, you've covered you've covered activations in the past. I know yeah. that you've made great relationships with people where you are sometimes covering every year the same activations because they're always changing and evolving things like that. But when you're talking to representatives from brands like Funko or Amazon, mm-hmm. ones that are there like every year, do they ever fill you on what like the goals of these large activations are? At, like <laughs> as the brand, like what what are their goals? Uh, for for pu- putting this much money, uh, potentially you know hundreds of thousands of dollars into you know taking over a space where they can recreate a scene or or give out you know two hundred dollar hats, things like that. Like, what do you? Yeah. What do they say are their goals?
3: Um, I think you know it's a little bit individualized. There isn't a one size fits all, which is really interesting because, like I said, the incubation of what San Diego is for uh, very for very different brands. I would say HBO has always kind of also understood with their very high-end genre shows from Game of Thrones to Westworld and uh, that um, there's almost this kind of idea that they want to give fans who are very dedicated, and let's be honest, it's a premium cable, then now streaming um, service, that have money. Um, And so what they want to do is kind of, translate the most premium experience um for fans into what their activations are so game of thrones for years through the the run of that show uh house of the dragon is now the spinoff um they literally would take out a whole section of a, a, a an area relatively close to the gas lamp and turn it into uh vr experiences you get to sit on the throne you you know get to have um mixed cocktails for the first time you know that are based on um themes from the show, uh, you know, costuming, um, it's a whole walkthrough, you know? So it's like, a basically a mini museum, um, experience for, for people. The Westworld one was, you know, um, uh, and uh, they also want to create a little bit of a, um, FOMO with it, <laughs> you know uh, the the idea of like oh, you there's a there's a there's going to be a Westworld thing. Where is it? Well, it's a little bit farther away from the convention center, but you have to sign up and make a reservation. And if you don't get that reservation, then you're not going to be able to experience it. There's no walk up, you know. So there's a little bit of the red carpet and the you know the, the gated um, uh, entry VIP feel to some of these things. And I think uh, you know HBO's experience has always been hit our our, our fandom but then also create an experience where people will walk away from the convention center to come to our thing. You know, like that is like, we will, we will, uh, tempt you <laughs> and to take time away or to carve out space in your schedule. So that's how HBO went about it. Um, Amazon is really interesting because Amazon is uh, uses a space that, that they didn't have, uh, you know, even five years ago, where it, it's become a place where you go in and get to see all kinds of brands. So you walk in, and it was the Boys, or it was, uh, you know, um, a mixture of new shows and old shows. And in that way, I think it's they're going, hey, let's let's really l- make a space. Where you don't just go, "Oh, I'm gonna see the boys, I'm gonna go see all the other new stuff that's coming too. so it's a it's a it's a way to kind of like kind of take advantage of one fandom and then introduce them to what else is coming down the pike. so like a it's funnel. it's very much an ex- yeah, it's Top very much funnel. an exposure I- experiment for them. you know, it's like, hey, uh, come in, you get to go to the prime. Uh, you know, uh, activation area. Um, when you, once you're in, you can do a thing for the expanse and then you can do a thing for the boys and then you can do a thing for, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 Lord of the Rings, you know, all of those kinds of things. Um, but if, even if a show hasn't launched you're going to get a tease of what's to come. And sometimes it's showing footage that you've never seen before. And sometimes it's, you know, playing a game out of something that's going to be part of what the, what the show is going to present. So I think there's an exposure element to what Amazon does. Um, And then, you know, I think uh, for places like, uh, like NBC did a really great, um, the good place, um activation where you literally (laughs) Yeah, which was so much fun. And you were brought in as uh basically essentially a candidate. (laughs) And then you were brought in and told like, Hey, this is your your introduction into the good place. And then all of a sudden you're brought out into this big area that looks like it was a reproduction set. And then chaos starts happening and they you have actors that are kind of screaming at you, This is the bad place and it's this year basically put into a moment that is that could have been from the show where it's exposing like you know that there is actually another level to the show that the show was going to be presenting to the audience as well and it was just really fun and felt really original actors are involved you know so i think for them it was uh, I kind of know the good place cause that was a show that ratings wise was kind of ex- was going up the ladder as the seasons progressed with, with uh, you know, word of mouth and certainly with critics really embracing it. And I think that was their opportunity for them to go like, listen, um, I, we think we we know a good amount of you like this show. Come on in and let's just make it even more fun for you and make it make you feel like you're a part of the world of it. And so I think all the brands, and those are just some examples of what what brands are doing with activations to be able to either augment an experience, amp up their 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 reach, um, uh, their cool factor, certainly with uh, the fandoms and uh, and then also to be a way to stealthily, um, eat your medicine, take your medicine of like, you get, you come in cause you like the boys, but guess what? You're going to get a bunch of other shows that you maybe not, you know, don't know anything about, but you're going to find out about them too. And, and that's a smart way of, of, uh, of doing it. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, like there was a huge Warner brothers blade runner activation where, you know, you're literally brought into a set with actors and, you know, some of you were chosen whether or not that to be a replicant. Fun. Yeah, it was. <laughs>
1: Absolutely Amazing. bonkers. I, I was there like, for the that. Too. that was value.
3: Incredible. <laughs> incredible. Yeah. And you go, well, I don't I don't know if that translated to the box office, but boy oh boy, if people, you know, that experienced it, I don't think anybody doesn't talk about it if you got to be a participant in that. And it's uh, maybe didn't translate to to the money that they wanted or the people to show up, but it's certainly uh, created a lot of buzz at San Diego. And, you know, if you want eyes, they really figured out how to get eyes on that one.
0: Yeah, it became mm-hmm. a cult cool classic too. But one thing about The Good yeah. Place, so cool. I was confused when, you, when you, you're like, oh, The Good Place activation, then you talked about that one. So that was when this show had already been established. Mm-hmm. I remember one of the first years I was there, Good Place hadn't come out yet, but they were promoting it. Yeah. And I remember they had a yogurt stand. And again, top of funnel, When it's a million degrees and you are dying walking around San Diego (laughs) Comic-Con and you see free yogurt, you're going to go walk, you're going to go walk, and you're going to go... Be part of the activation and you're going to stand in line and you're going to watch the trailer for The Good Place 70 times. And I remember talking to my buddy, I went, this looks stupid. Became one of my favorite, <laughs> best shows ever. But and I got some great yogurt. So it was almost like subliminal messaging of like, you're going to watch this show. Maybe, maybe not <laughs> immediately, but you're going to watch it.
3: So Yeah, that's so clever. Uh. It was the yogurt. It, you. it was. It <laughs> well, honestly, I will tell you now, and Al's a thousand percent right. Any place that offers you a liquid or an ice cream of some kind as part of it you, you you will literally watch swells of people come to to the they will do whatever it takes to like get a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, anything relief it. from anything, the heat anything free they will watch the thing they will do like hell, just sit there scooping it in or <laughs> yeah. lugging it down go yeah feed it to me it is also probably uh, i think I would probably agree probably one of the most receptive branding Events that happens um, for all of these cumulative brands, you know, people are so receptive to be excited about your product, excited about your thing. Any kind of pushback that you get at other typical events, which might be a you know a more mainstream uh, you know kind of convention or or uh, you know event where they're trying to shove a leaflet at you or trying to do this, that is not what you're getting at Comic Con. You are getting. Yes, give me that. Give me that, and you're just people putting it in their bags and going like, "I'll I'll filter through it later and see if I throw it out." But they will take everything from you. They will walk in any door. It's almost like, like the the antithesis of what you tell your kids: "Don't talk to strangers. <laughs> don't go in that room." Like no one has those rules at Comic Con, and um, it's it you know that's maybe not the best bellwether for all brands as to how so how well something's going to do on the other end of it, but it certainly is in terms of um uh, front front reception, people will come in and they will say, yes, like, yes, show me your thing. Give me your thing. Walk me in through your thing. And, uh, and, and that's kind of really also, I think, unique. That mm-hmm. hasn't been lost at San Diego. There's the cynicism or the curation, the prior curation that a lot of people have with their biases, just walking into something, going, "I don't want that. No, I'm fine. Thank you very much." Just goes away at Comic Con. Yeah, yeah, and I love it. So, sorry, El.
0: No, I was going to just say just just to add on to that, and another thing that uh, kind of makes it separate from all these other act, uh, all these other events is all these activations that we're talking about that are outside of the convention center don't require a badge. So that 167,000 that I mentioned in 2019, that doesn't account for all the local people or people in California that are coming just to experience Comic-Con and be a part of it. So that number, I feel like, is drastically low in, in terms of like the amount of people who come to the gas lamp and come to all these activations. And you're getting an even bigger audience than the ones that actually got a badge for the day or the week, which is crazy. Agree. Mm. Yeah.
2: It sounds so inclusive. Like a few years ago, I went to Dreamforce um, in San Francisco and Salesforce just take over the city. Um, and they do have some fun stuff going on, like um, among all the kind of panel talks. The year I went, they had Michelle Obama mm. and they had a few different speakers but, uh, yeah, felt felt very much gated and, like, not everyone had access to that, especially not the locals. So this is nice to hear. And just hearing you guys talk about it and talk about the recall you have from different activations. Yeah. You know, it's a good litmus test on, on kind of how it works. But, Tara, I want to talk a little bit about the writer's strike. Um, yeah. And we're now, you know, getting ready to to have an actor strike too. We've seen Emily Blunt and Killian Murphy walk out of the Oppenheimer um, Oppenheimer premiere uh, last week. So yeah. you know, it feels like we're going to be dealing with a, a kind of different Comic Con this year in terms of the focus on celebrity panels, talent panels. Is this like a unique opportunity for brands activating in and around the center?
3: Yeah, honestly, I think, um, you know, the, we've known in the industry for a while going back, you know, to the spring that the writers were definitely going to be hitting the line and then definitely with the potential for, uh, uh, the, the DGA and SAG to be, um, striking all at the same time. DGA got a deal, um, SAG. Uh, just you know, yesterday announced that they'll be striking as of today, um, and that that actually really changes the, the the course of of San Diego this year. It's been a it's been a tough couple of years for San Diego with the pandemic, then with the, the kind of soft relaunch of it back again last year was you know um, I think good numbers, but you know still a lot of people that were reticent um, to still attend. Um, uh, there was. Uh, you know i think the hollywood contingent and this is, listen honestly going all the way back to 2005 um the hollywood contingent has has kind of been an anathema to the the people that are purists with san diego comic con because it is called comic con it's not called movie con it's not called tv con um it started as a very small kind of hotel ballroom uh, event where it was all comic creators, you know, that's, that's why you were going. And then because of proximity to Los Angeles and because of obviously the, um, the cross population of comic books into other media, um, there's just, it made sense to go, Hey, like, listen, if I've got, uh, an audience of people that are reading these comic books, I'm not making a video game or I'm, you know, of course, you know, creating one of the early, um, comic book movies, like, why wouldn't we show up there and, you know, bring a, bring an actor or two, um, the the kind of Hollywoodification has been a very controversial um, element of San Diego Comic-Con um, going all the way through, especially the 2000s, because that's when it really ramped up. And again, movies like... Uh, Twilight, which suddenly brought in um, a non, an absolutely non-comic book um, contingent of fandom, which you know really irritated even more uh, the people that have been longtime attendees of San Diego Comic Con. Suddenly couldn't get tickets anymore, and you know had a, a harder time being able to get into Hall H, and um, which is where all of the great big panels happen. So there, there, there then became, you know, um, a little bit of fandom infighting, uh, you know, with more mainstream um, fans that had never been, to those that have been lifers that have been there, um, uh, resenting to a degree the Hollywoodification of what came in and changed the scope of what was happening. But, you know, it, to, a, to a degree, it's like, honestly, it's benefited everybody because they're, you know, maybe you didn't like Twilight, but then maybe you really did love the Hunger Games. And then you certainly liked when Star, Star Wars came back and you certainly like when Star Trek, you know, came back in all of its iterations. So there's, you know, there's a little bit of, of irritation, snobbery happening even amongst fandom about like, you're changing, you're, you know, changing my Comic-Con. Um, the people that have the most to complain about are the comic book creators who suddenly became like, oh, uh, maybe I'll go on the floor and look at the comic books. Um, and they became really the, the kind of afterthoughts, the, the redheaded stepchildren, if you will, of, of Comic-Con what this will end up doing and what I think has happened for the last couple of years, especially in the pandemic era of, of all of these big events is that it has become more of an event where those creators that, that are, are very benchmark in terms of, of the stories that have allowed for other media adaptations are getting a little more attention. And, um, you know, going to Comic-Con next week is really going to be you're going back to a Comic-Con. You are going to have all of these writers who even if they've worked on television shows or helped on the scripts for movies are going to be just talking about their comic books again and you will um, have an opportunity to have a little bit of a captive audience for people that maybe were there going for the hollywoodification of it will now go, "Well, I don't, you know, I've got time. Let me go and sit down because I do I do like that movie, but I never really went to go find out about what it's doing in the comic book sphere. Let me go sit down and see what they're talking about. So I think there will be a more interesting cross pollination of people that had looked at their schedules and said, "Nope, I'm doing this movie. I'm doing this television show. I'm doing this." And then will now go, "Oh well, those things are kind of off the table. Let me go see what else is out there that I wouldn't have given time to before because I was super overexcited about this actor or this director or person of note." Um, and I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna be great. Um, but I think it also is going to be a real big boon to advertisers and brands that will now go. We're going to be your razzle dazzle, man. So like come out to the Petco Park uh, parking lot where, you know, there's going to be all these activations and there's a space between the Bayfront Hotel and the Hall H essentially of the Comic-Con, of the convention center that's usually taken out. Um, you know, by FX or, uh, you know, uh, Hulu, uh, that's going to become this big experience. I think those things are going to be so crowded this year because I think that for those then that also go like, I, I don't really know comic books. I was here for all the other pop culture media are then going to spread themselves to these these brand experiences. And I think that um, there'll be bigger lines before where it was maybe, oh, we're really taking care, of, we're taking advantage of spill, for people that are like locked inside of the convention center, I think they're going to be a little bit more of um, the hey, there's where I'm going to get my Hollywood, there's where I'm going to get my my razzle dazzle and my experiential and get to see things that would have been in a panel. That maybe some of these brands will shift into. Hey, if you come into this activation, the grand finale of it is going to be sitting in a room and watching that trailer we were going to premiere in a panel, and now you get to see it in an activation. Um, they're gonna they're gonna you know have to pivot on their creativity and then also spread word of mouth of going like, okay, well, hey, you may not have gotten it there, but now you're going to get it here. Um, So I think that there's a a real opportunity for brands and for advertising to get even more creative and to, on a dime, (laughs) kind of like take advantage of this opportunity. And then I think Comic-Con itself, um, hopefully it will be a place where the spirit of what we talked about, which is fandom and being the open, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll be open to going to panels they never would have thought of before. And then maybe walking out, um, uh, a more informed and more enthused, um, uh, potential purchaser <laughs> or, or a participant in other medias that they, that this kind of comic con without actors and without, um, uh, writers will, uh, writers of of television and film will, will be able to afford them. Um, and I think that's, it's a, it's certainly a unique opportunity. Um, and I, I myself will be really interested to see what's the chatter walking away from it, you know, next Sunday.
0: Amazing. And, uh, Tara, I know you have, uh, deadlines and, uh, you've been so gracious with your time, but, uh, before we go, uh, quick lightning round, single questions that's all i wrote down sure. uh what activations uh, at this year at this year's convention are you most excited about attending
3: so i'm a big nerd which i you know i i embrace totally you know without any any kind of um uh shame whatsoever so like there's a there's a really fun snoopy one that's gonna be there so oh, i nice. always love when they do charles oh. schultz and peanut stuff um uh hulu is going to be doing um a really cool activation and i'm a huge futurama fan um and so that show is coming back in july so being able to (laughs) to be able one just be so happy that that show is like literally in its third resurrection and that they'll be doing um uh like a basically a big planet express um a set for that um just warms the the animation nerd of my heart um there's um going to be, uh, FX always has a really interesting area where all of their shows have these like weird little, like, it's like spokes in a wheel. And I'm always, um, uh, always pleasantly surprised by what they do for their brands of like what we do in the shadows and Archer and, you know, um, that's always great. And then adult swim, um, that, uh, darn them. They always do really interesting things. Always. And I'm a, I, I'm a really big uh, animation fan. And Genny Tartakovsky um, has shows called uh, He Did Samurai Jack. And he did Dexter's Lab. And he has a show called Unicorn Warrior Eternals. And he has Primal, which just got Emmy nominated. And they're actually doing a live concert with their the people that do their score. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. So um, so they get me too, man. Like they figure out, here's the it. hook? Tara's in. You know, she's been doing this for literally two decades. But I'm always excited uh there's always things out there that make me go ah yeah i'm in okay yeah i want to go
2: now you have to you, go. Get, you
3: guys have like you, you have guys to have opened my eyes and given me a full education
0: uh,
2: yeah. on comic con
0: we need to <laughs> there's something
2: for everyone now. we need to pitch 100%. ad week
0: pitch ad week uh yeah that's probably an ad at comic con 2020 Live. 2024 would be amazing let's do uh, it uh, tarot you've been an absolute blast to have on this podcast i can't wait to have you back on cuz you are one of the smartest, uh, coolest people I know, um, and uh, I just love you to death. And thank you so much for being on. Before before we jump off, uh, let people know where they can find you and your work uh,
3: again before we uh, sign off. Oh, thank you so much! Uh, I, it's just a joy to be able to chat with you, and s- especially talking about this topic, just because Comic Con has been a huge part of my career and my personal life for for a very long time. So, thank you, guys. A wonderful conversation, and um, yeah, no, I am uh, I am on um, Twitter until Twitter <laughs> implodes. <laughs> that's probably uh, the, the, the 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 most uh, you know um, concentrated place that I am. And I'm Tara D uh, Bennett, all one word. Um, and that's where I, you know, will put updates on my, my weekly stories for all of my different outlets and certainly can have link throws to my books. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I don't really have a a website. I'm redoing that at this point right now, but otherwise, um, I'm there, and you can always, uh, you know, um, find me at the, the the outlets that I write for. So uh, you go to IGN, um, and uh, I have new reviews going up this week, and certainly sci-fi every day. And then also uh, Paste, uh, I have uh, stories up there as well, including a, a, a big um, look at uh, Nimona, which just came out on Netflix. So I'm out there. Thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. Um, and thank you, Tara. Thank- yeah, thank you, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're at San Diego Comic Con uh, next week, which is or this week, which when the, the episode will be premiering on the Monday, uh, leading up to San Diego Comic Con, and you see me say hi, I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be there uh, as part of my vacation because I never stop even on vacation. I'm just oh my God. just working all the time. <laughs> Bless uh, but, you. Right? You are
3: the you are the core audience, Al. They I, love really you. <laughs> I really never leave am. them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to this uh, episode. Of yeah, that's probably an ad, and we'll see you next week take care thank you for listening to yeah that's probably an ad part of the ad week podcast network and Acast creator network this podcast was produced by me al Manarino, executive produced by chris aarons and john Heil, and edited by lane McGivney at boutwell studios you can listen and subscribe to all of ad podcasts by visiting adweek.com podcasts Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.